worthy of the gospel. Now, if you've been here for a few weeks, you understand that we spent a lot of the summer talking about what the gospel is and how it would impact people's lives. And now we're bringing it all together with our responsibility as far as the gospel is concerned. So we want to make sure that, that we are willing to apply some of what we hear today to our lives because it will be the aspect that makes the gospel message really ring true. So pray with me now, and then I'm going to turn it over to KT and Joel and hope that all of our lives will be enriched and challenged and that God will bring, be brought glory by what we do this morning. So let's pray. Father, what a blessing to know the Almighty, to be able to speak as Moses did face to face with the Holy God. No one in this room is worthy of that. None of us have any right at all to even speak your name except that you opened up the door to us by sending your wonderful son, the Lord Jesus. He came, he walked among us, he lived that perfect life. And then he took my sin on himself and paid the debt. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Help us this morning to find the truth of our responsibility as far as that great news. Help us, God, to be people who respond quickly, even when the challenges are enormous, even when what we're taught this morning might hurt. God, help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to move in the right direction so that the gospel goes forward in a troubled, troubled world so that the name of Jesus is lifted high and that you, Almighty Father, are, are glorified. We want that. We pray for our speakers. We pray for the congregation. God, help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Keith? Amen. Morning, family. Practical tip. When you sing in one of these, it's like singing in the shower. It's fantastic. So give that a try. Turn to Ephesians 1 if you could. Ephesians 1. I'm very excited about working with Joel on this. I really enjoyed it, uh, but I knew I had to take my game up a notch. When you share a podium with Joel, you better bring the energy, you better bring the goods. So a little extra caffeinated, some would say maybe too much, so bear with me. Got notes and everything this week, so it's going to be good. But Ephesians 4 is one of many, many passages that starts with what you see, walk worthy, walk worthy. And I can't think of a better application from all the different weeks of studying the theology and the scripture behind the gospel, talking about the nuts and bolts of how we work this in our lives and see the Lord work through those lives, but to sum it up. And to sum it up, now we need to walk worthy. We need to walk worthy. You've heard the, te the term where the rubber meets the road. Well, this is where the rubber meets the road. You can have enormous head knowledge. You can memorize every scripture. Well, maybe not every. There's a lot of them. But you can memorize scripture as how the gospel would be laid out. But if we don't walk worthy and share the good news, it's purely academic. It's purely academic. So this is where the rubber meets the road. Take a look at Ephesians 4. We're going to use two of these passages of walk worthy. There's a bunch of them. I'd encourage you to do a search uh, with the miracle of Google, it's not hard anymore. You type in walk worthy and 10 to 15 different Bible passages will, will pop up as to where the scripture would lay this out. But listen to Ephesians 4. I therefore, Paul says, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy 
of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace has been given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For context, who's Paul talking to? He's talking to the local church of Ephesus. He's talking to the church. That's you, that's me, that's believers. And I think it's vital that he starts this chapter where he's really going to go into deep points about the church, the gifts the Holy Spirit has given each of you to use in the church, the manner in which the church is to be built up like a spiritual house for the glory of God. It's so critical that he starts it by saying, walk worthy, walk worthy. And there's really four points in here that we're going to briefly look at to apply to your life. Here's what I really believe, and this is not new. This, is, this I believe, is well-grounded in the scriptures. I believe Jesus' passion was to draw disciples and to not only see them saved, but to teach them, as he says in Matthew 28, teach them to observe everything that Christ taught. And then once we're empowered with the knowledge and the saving faith, and then we're empowered with the doctrine that Christ would have us learn, not only are we to build each other up, but we're to share that with the world. And so if I could summarize a purpose of this church, one of the clear purposes of this church is that your life would be spiritually built so that the minute you walk out those doors, you're sharing the good news to those around you. And we've already heard that it's been said, what speaks louder, actions or words? Actions speak louder than words. And so my actions as I walk out that door are gonna shape the effectiveness, I believe, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God is critical for making the gospel alive. But it's interesting that for some reason, he's allowed you and me to have a part in it. And sadly, for some reason, he's even allowed us to get in the way of it. Think about that for a minute. He's even allowed us to get in the way of it. And so our walk worthy of the gospel has an enormous amount at stake. And so I would urge us not to pressure, not to overwhelm, but to encourage and to motivate us that our opportunity to walk worthy in four areas is pivotal to our effectiveness of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what are these? Well, there are four words. Paul says, I urge you to walk worthy in a manner, walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit. And while we've already dug into some of those, like humility and love, today on this first section, we want to focus on the unity in the Spirit. As a body of Christ, we need to be united. And as you've heard said, we need to share life in a united way. And I really believe from experience, uh, we've seen that when we walk united in love, humility, patience, the Holy Spirit is ready to work, is ready to work. Let me share a word of testimony before we break this down a little further. The Great Adventure Church was officially started in August of 2001. There were six families like Lev and Betty and the Jennings fam who were then later joined by others like Beth and Neil Pittman. 
Another local church was now in place, hoping to be a city on a hill. In July 2006, something happened to take things to another level. Gar and Julie Mabe were another one of the six original families. Christy had arranged for a 30th birthday party for me on July 9th. The church family and other relatives were going to gather for a day of fun in the sun. Three hours before the party started, I received a call from Julie in tears. Gar had collapsed and was being rushed to the hospital in an ambulance. The church family sprung into action. Within 15 minutes, a GAC elder was at the hospital, and within one hour, most of the church family was in the hospital waiting room to support Julie and their family. When we arrived at the hospital, our worst fears were confirmed. Gar had died. He had run on the treadmill, stepped, stepped off to join Julie on the deck, looked into her eyes, and dropped dead of a massive rupture of his aorta. At 42 years old, Gar entered heaven, leaving a wife, two kids, and many unsaved relatives behind. We didn't know it at the time, but the light of life leaving Gar's physical body would be the start of the light from the city on a hill growing significantly brighter. Julie's part of a big Catholic family. She has seven brothers and one sister. Her sister is a believer and was actually baptized at the first GAC baptism along with some of the Jennings kids. Julie's seven brothers and their families were not saved at this time. Even after the initial support at the hospital, the Gack family didn't just wish well and leave. The Gack family continued to lend tireless love and support to Julie and all those around her. The afternoon was spent praying and consoling Julie and her loved ones. Julie asked a Gack elder and his wife to accompany each of her family individually to see Gar on the hospital gurney so they could say goodbye. The meal that was planned for the church party uh, was shifted to a dinner for Julie and her extended family that same evening. This would be the first of many, many meals, not just delivered by the church, but meals uh, and evenings spent with the family night after night. The church family rallied around Julie, her kids, and her sister to make every effort to keep united in the spirit. This was in front of her unsaved siblings. This was in front of her unsaved family each time. The church family helped plan and facilitate the funeral. The church family mobilized rides, prayer, and companionship during the most difficult time of the Mabe's life. I'm so thankful for the example of the Great Adventure Church to me of walking worthy. After several times spent with Julie's family, the Lord showed spiritual interest in Jason's life. Jason is one of Julie's brothers. He's very much looked to as a family leader. At one of the many gatherings, James Reibling said to him, you should study the Bible with Lev. He wasn't close to it. After additional meals with Jason, he was invited to do a Bible study of the Gospel of John with a group of men from Gak. Through the example of his church, through the truth of his word, and through the work of the Holy Spirit, God saved Jason and his family. Later, Julie shared that Gar would have gladly given his life to see his brother-in-law saved. Little did we know that Gar's life passing would be the opportunity for his brother-in-law and others to receive the Savior. One year later, we had another celebration honoring Gar's life. God used that time of remembrance to lead our alley to receive Jesus as her Savior. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. When the Great Adventure Church answered the call to walk worthy in unity as a true family, God answered by saving souls for eternity. 
It's time for another intensifying of this light. Let's walk worthy through humility, gentleness, love, and unity. It's exhilarating to think about what God will accomplish in the months to come. Unity. Jesus Christ himself was clear to say that evidence that the Father had sent the Son would be seen through our unity and love for each other. When the rubber meets the road, will we be ready to walk worthy? Will we be ready to join in unity, to share life, so that as God brings many opportunities, we as a family will be ready to mobilize together? Here's the good news. Thankfully, we don't have to wait for the next death in the church family. We can start this unity. We can continue to deepen this unity now. We'll have opportunity next Sunday at a picnic to show love and care for each other. We'll have opportunity to invite neighbors and coworkers to maybe a less uh, intimidating church setting, a backyard, in order to share the love and unity that we share with each other. Will we be ready to step up? Will we be motivated to turn what has become a cultural custom of casual church involvement, fill your two hours a week, right? Get the quota. Will we turn that into a life shared with fellow believers? You can't be there for someone in their deepest hour of need if you haven't bonded and connected with them during the good times. You don't just show up as a practical stranger and suddenly now be part of the family unity, right? It takes building. It takes consistency. It takes effort. It's the kind of effort where 35 of you gather Friday night to praise and worship. Excellent. It's the kind of effort where Sunday is followed by lunch together. It's the kind of effort where when I'm struggling, I transparently call a brother and say, brother, I need you to pray for me this week. I am struggling with this. It's the kind of unity that doesn't let Lori pack up her truck together, but 10 of you show up ready to lift, ready to load, ready to help. It's the kind of unity that shares life together in our needs, in our victories, in our joys, in our defeats. Are we ready? Are we ready to walk worthy? Colossians 1, turn there with me. Colossians 1 has a similar message. We'll start in verse 9. Colossians 1, verse 9, And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance, Underline that. For all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Endurance, walk worthy of the gospel, laboring with endurance. Listen. Mike and Julie Eels were full-time workers at Atlantic Bible Chapel for 11 years. Now, we need to frame that. Mike was the official worker, but you know Julie was right there with him every step of the way. They were there for 11 years. One of the jobs was directing Iowa Bible Camp. It was a labor of love, 
but it was a heavy labor requiring the endurance laid out in walking worthy. Hours and hours of work went into every summer to make sure that things were ready for teens to hear the gospel. Thankfully, like in Colossians 1, there were lots of people praying for the camp each year. This summer was no different, although the workload was even heavier. COVID-19 demanded even more hours of endurance and work. Mike had to make and answer dozens of phone calls. He and his family had to miss a family vacation to make sure everything was ready for camp this summer. This year, God had a special week planned. One young man in particular was destined to go to camp. Colin had seen the gospel in the lives of his grandma and grandpa, and he was drawn to it. He saw more of God's love and plan at his Christian school, but he had not yet been born again. Our family was excited to hear of Colin's time at Iowa Bible Camp. We began to pray for his salvation. Friday, the last night of camp, at 10 or 10.30 p.m., our family was sitting in the family room, and Chrissy said, I wonder how Colin did at camp. I said, let's find out. We called Mike's cell phone, and he answered. Some of you know what a miracle that is in itself. We called Mike's cell phone, and he answered. How's our friend Colin doing this week, brother? I asked. Well, he just received Christ as his Savior after the campfire an hour ago. Praise the Lord. We thanked Mike for he and his family's hard, enduring work and went to our knees as had become accustomed during the quarantine to thank the true author of salvation, the true worker of salvation, God himself. There was praise, there was some tears, mainly from Christy, and there was thanksgiving that God had used the labor of our friends and the prayers of God's saints, and most of all, his own work to save another life for eternity. Mike and Julie had walked worthy, and God used that work to bring a young, another young man into the family of God. Walking worthy is hard work. Remember what Romans 12 says, that as you give your life as a sacrifice, Christ never promised that walking worthy would be a cakewalk. And in a culture of comfiness, in a culture of entitlement and laissez-faire sort of status quo, look out for number one, walking worthy doesn't fit. Christ's church needs to lead the way for enduring hard work for the gospel. Take a moment, ask the Lord to give you some reflection of how you're doing. I know that I was convicted of several areas of my life that need to be intensified as far as my walk for the Lord, as far as my walking worthy, as far as my enduring labor. I'll share a couple measuring points with you. If you're like my kids, you'll hate these, but I'd put them forward for reflection. One, am I spending more than an hour a day surfing on my phone? Whether Facebook, Instagram, Vikings.com, NFL.com, Fox News, Am I spending more than an hour a day when I could be enduring uh, hard work for the Lord? Secondly, am I spending more than an hour or two a day on television? What will I accomplish for the Lord in front of my TV? And third, am I spending sufficient time in my day to not only carry out enduring work, but to fuel through my time in the Word and my time in prayer, to fuel my enduring work for the Lord Jesus in his glory. Questions maybe we could all ask. There's several other things we could put in there, things that would distract us, things that would get in our way. 
But one of the things we want to remove as a possible hindrance to your enduring hard work is opportunity. We want you to have as much opportunity as possible to endure hard work, to walk worthy, so that this community will see the life of the great adventure and shine brightly together. You saw two up here this morning taking full advantage of that opportunity, leading us in worship. We'd like others of you to join in leading in worship as the Lord has given you ability and calling. You'll see at the uh, podium of the great adventure, it's not just old fogies preaching the word, but it's young brothers trained up and challenged and encouraged to learn the word and to share it. You'll see that uh, a youth group isn't just uh, run by the elders. In fact, we want the other young men and women, spiritually mature young and women, to be leading our youth along with us. Joel has already mentioned with Lori that Sunday school is a vital area that we need you to step up and help. There's so many more. There's so many more. But I personally am convicted that the time is short. And it's time for me to shift my own selfish use of time and endure in hard work for the gospel of Jesus Christ so that I can walk worthy of the calling. Joel, can you come and continue our thoughts on walking worthy? How much time did you leave me, Casey? 20 minutes. I should have gone first. 20 minutes, exactly. Impressive. I'm just going to leave my mask there as a reminder that I don't have to wear one right now, and the rest of you do. <laughs> okay, great, uh, great stuff, KT. Going to follow up with another couple areas in which hopefully you can be encouraged uh, to make the rubber meet the road or to be ready when the rubber meets the road in terms of evangelism. evangelism. I'll echo what KT's already said, which is, Interesting that we get to the end of this series on evangelism and the encouragement isn't for you to feel guilty enough to go and do a specific thing, right? The encouragement is walk worthy, this general way of doing life, which I think is appropriate um, in which I'll say again, a couple areas in which I would encourage you to walk worthy and some practical suggestions. Practical suggestions are not descended from heaven. Uh, from God's mouth, right? You understand? So weigh these in your situations. Don't take them as Bible truth, but as suggestions to apply. The first of my two categories is walk worthy in daily life. So the obvious, the obvious there is hypocrisy, right? KT talked about unity. Um, if you're walking worthy in daily life, it means that you are living the kind of life that you're encouraging others to live. Unity is a great way to see that. I just read an article this week that written by some pastors who are bracing for whatever happens in November when the election takes place, right? I mean, every church in America has unity in their mission statement or value statement somewhere, right? But man, November passes. They're saying, I mean, you, you, you could be alienated from some churches for voting for Trump. You could be alienated from others for voting for Biden. You could be alienated from some for voting third party, right? It's crazy. It's crazy. And when you lose unity over that, what it tells you is the reason you were unified before was politics. It wasn't the gospel, right? Because it disunifies you. So walk worthy in daily life means, first of all, don't be hypocritical. We're all a work in progress. Nobody's expecting perfection. The world, when they expect perfection of you, they're the ones being unreasonable. Yes, okay. But at the same time, 
the Bible's clear. We're expected to, to walk worthy. Second, though, this is a bit more practical. In terms of walking worthy in daily life, this is really an argument against compartmentalizing your life. As you think about, as you think about applying outreach strategies, I'm trying to argue against compartmentalizing your life, meaning categorizing your life into different sections. So this time of the week I go to church, and this time of the week I go to work, and this time of the week is family time, and now this time of the week is going to be outreach time, right? Because we've encouraged you enough that you're going you're gonna to find a two-hour span in there to focus on outreach. Now, it's not all bad, right? I would simply argue against it for practical reasons, mainly that it's not sustainable long-term, okay? So there's a few reasons why you might be tempted to compartmentalize your life. The most cynical is because you're a hypocrite, and you act like a Christian in church on Sunday morning, but you don't want to act that way anywhere else, right? You're compartmentalizing your life. That's bad. Benefit of the doubt, though, good reasons why you might want to compartmentalize your life. A, you're an analytical person, you like checklists, and making sure you're doing everything you want to do with your time. So you block out your time in different sections so that you can ensure that you're covering the things you want to cover. That's a good thing, right? We do that with things we really care about, right? If you need something to get done or you need to not forget something, you write it down and you plan. It's a good motive. Another good motive, you want it to be something that does end up getting prioritized over other things, right? In other words, if you don't plan anything for any of your evenings this week, you'll probably default to what kind of things? Well, probably watching TV, sitting around on your smartphone, I don't know, other things that are right there and super easy to do, right? Unless you purpose to do something else, unless you plan to do something else. So there are good reasons for this. But let me encourage you, to resist this temptation with outreach and evangelism. That is to say, while we want it to be a priority and we want to make time for it, try not to put yourself in a place where you know that Friday night is when you're really going to focus on it. Okay? Now, the main reason for this, as I said, is because it's not very sustainable. So in other words, say you leave here and you say, every Friday night, every Friday afternoon from 4 to 5, I'm going to go door to door and I'm going to evangelize, right? Good motive, of course, not a bad thing to do. The chances that you will sustain that habit over months and years of your life are extremely slim, are extremely slim. If you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to purpose to have one, I'm going to take one person I know doesn't know Christ out for coffee once a week or once a month. Good, great, probably unsustainable because life gets busy and habits are hard and things come up, okay? So... As an alternative, perhaps, let me encourage you to view, it's so cliche, view all of life through the, through the lens of outreach. What I mean by that, and to get very practical, is how about view big life decisions through the lens of outreach? So, for example, here's a practical application that will be much harder for you than any other outreach application you've ever heard. But what I would encourage you to do, once you... If you're in college, once you graduate college, if you're not, find a place to live and live there for a really long time and go on walks consistently. Even take off the walk thing. Take off the walks. Find a place to live and live there for a really long time, like years. Society is so mobile. No one's in one place for very long, right? 
if you find a place to live and you live there for a really long time, even if you're not trying that hard, you're going to meet people. I threw the walks thing in because when you do consistent things like that, go to the gym consistently, go on walks consistently, join a book club, book club consistently, do something consistent. I mean, if you take your garbage out at the same time every week, after a while, you're going to know the two other guys who take the garbage out at that same time every week. Right? It's just the way, it's just the way it works. Okay? That's a, to me, more sustainable plan of outreach, right? You still need the boldness to talk. You still need to be able to say hi to that guy who's also in his pajamas taking the garbage out. But, but that's kind of what I mean by viewing big life decisions through the lens of outreach. What, what job are you going to do? Where are you going to live? Uh, what kind of extracurriculars are you going to be involved in? What kind of extracurriculars are your kids going to be involved in? All these things, think about outreach. And this is a way in which we can walk worthy in daily life. That is to say, people see us and they don't think, oh, Joel tells people about Jesus every Friday afternoon, right? Which they can figure out and then just avoid me on Friday afternoons. They think Joel's like a straight-up Bible thumper, Jesus person, right? So there's, there's an encouragement. Now, there are people in this room who have seen the positive effects of this, okay? Now, I'm lucky in that I have two little girls who are more cute than not cute and a double stroller, right? So you walk by someone, it's like I don't exist. It's like I don't exist, but they want to talk, right? They, they, don't t they literally do not talk to me. They go straight to the three-year-old. What is your name? Do you like going on walks? And it's... It's an open door, right? So for me, as the dad, I feel guilty when I don't go on walks, like it's been two weeks, because I know this is the way. This is the way to make outreach part of my life. All I got to do is go on walks and be willing to not walk away when someone wants to talk to me, okay? Talk to other people in this room who've met their neighbors, who've made it a priority. KT shared with me about how his kids, and this is common with kids, right? They play in the yard. You're next to people who also play in the yard. They meet neighbors. They've seen neighbors come to Christ. They have neighbors now who know what they, who know what they believe about Jesus who they've had opportunity to share with. Okay? So it's not like they said, it's outreach hour, Wednesday afternoon. Go play in the backyard, and you better find somebody to reach out to, right? It's that. They live there. They've lived there for a long time, and so it's happening. Okay. I can't read that clock from here. I blame Mark Preston for buying a clock that has Roman numerals. Lots of time? <laughs> Lots of time. Lots of time. Okay, let's, let's, go to the, let's go to the last one here. The last uh, point is walk worthy as a child. I mean two things by this. And uh, mention, of, mention of the Leverance kids and my thoughts of other kids, my kids, uh, helps me to move into this point. This is first an encouragement to recognize the, beneath, the, recognize the benefit of, of being young in evangelizing. A lot of the stereotypes are true about being young. And by young, I mean anywhere from young, young to, to college age. Uninhibited, simple-minded. I don't mean dumb by that. I mean simple-minded. More easily make friends. You put two little kids in a room and they're friends in like five seconds. Not picky about who they hang out with. 
they tend not to be as socially afraid, not afraid of what people think as much. I taught, I student taught seventh graders and then taught ninth graders. And I don't know where it is, but it's somewhere between seventh and ninth grade that kids decide they care what their friends think of them. The difference is monumental. Many an illustration, but we must press on. No established viewpoints yet. Five-year-olds aren't Democrats or Republicans yet, right? To give one example of the kinds of things that characterize us as adults, they're not quote-unquote set in their ways, okay? And uh, what KT has shared with me about, about Ali, Anna, Aaron, Amanda, and these friends kids points this out perfectly, okay? Three neighbor kids, Severance kids have been able to reach out to them. Mom and dad aren't too happy about it. Mom and dad of the neighbor's kids aren't too happy about it. Uh, the dad, at least, is a staunch Catholic, okay? So Allie or Anna or Aaron shares something with the kids. Sometimes they get excited. They go to tell mom and dad the good news that they've heard. Mom and dad don't like it. Why doesn't dad like it? Because dad's a Catholic. It's part of his identity. I mean, I don't know him personally. Okay? This is based off of what KT has told me. He's a Catholic. It's part of his identity. His beliefs and his worldview and his identity are threatened by what these neighbor kids are telling his kids, right? His kids, though he has tried, I'm sure, to pass along that Catholic identity, his kids have not taken that yet. That's a good thing, and it illustrates the difference, right, between adults stereotypically and kids stereotypically. So don't waste your youth. College kids, who are you? Okay, so you walk into a coffee shop. There's five college kids drinking coffee in the corner, laughing, talking about something. You walk into a diner. There's three old guys with life creases on their face. They've no doubt been in this diner every weekday morning for the last 15 years talking about something. Which of those groups is more likely fertile ground for the potentially new idea about Jesus that you might bring to them? Stereotypically, okay? I tend to think those guys are, those old guys are what they are, right? You could tell them stuff, they probably won't believe you. Now that's an unhealthy viewpoint, right? To think that, to think that anybody's beyond, beyond the reach of Christ. It's a bad viewpoint. Yes, you're welcome, love. But, these, the college kid scenario is, you know these, these, these people haven't really decided yet about certain things of life. That's why they're talking, that's why they're more passionate and talking about things, right? Don't waste that opportunity to reach out to people your own age. Walk worthy as a child. Now, lest Lev even feel more alienated. Sorry, Lev, you're like the caricature of an older person now, sorry. But you're, you're right here, you're right here. This is also an encouragement to childlike faith. In evangelism. And for this one, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10. This isn't really a passage about evangelism. It kind of, kind of is. In Luke 10, Jesus has sent out his disciples to do miracles pretty much. And by disciples, we don't mean the 12. We mean he rounded up 70 people who had decided to follow him. He said, go, go, go. Go wherever. It's where he tells them, stay places. If they reject you, shake the door off your feet and keep going. But go, go, go. Do miracles. Cast out demons in my name. Look at Luke 10, verse 17. Let's read verse 17 through 23. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, 
I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, so right after this, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. You get this this framework, which I'm finding everywhere because I preached that sermon on Corinthians about the gospel being foolishness to the world. God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Here's kind of an example of that. Now, Jesus prays to the Father, and he says, Thank you that you've hidden these things from the wise, but revealed them to little children. There's no little children in this paragraph, Right? Because he's not talking about literal little children. He's talking about these disciples who came back after doing all these miracles. And in verse 17 said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. In other words, they're giddy as little kids that they've been able to go around. And because they've been given the power of Christ, they've been able to do things against evil spirits that they never even deemed possible. Right. They're not overthinking it. They're not pausing between house to house saying but how is this possible, right? And they don't go back to Jesus and say, can you explain exactly how the mystery of human, human power and divine power are working out here? No, they don't care. They're little kids. Jesus said go. They went. They're doing crazy things. They come back. They're giddy as little kids. Lord, you won't believe it. We're, be able, to, we're able to kick these, kick these demons' butts. It's unbelievable. Jesus says, that's great. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't send me to find the richest, smartest, most royal people in the world to carry out these miracles. Instead, you gave me kids, right? Little children. Elsewhere in the New Testament, it is literal children, right? The disciples get on Jesus about spending his time with kids. He says, listen, you've got this all wrong. People who follow me, people who will be in my kingdom are like little children. That's who the kingdom belongs to, right? So, in terms of evangelism, all kinds of things here, right? Be like a little child in terms of what's happening, right? The longer you sit and think about what it's going to take for someone to believe the gospel, the more afraid and less likely you're going to be to share it, right? You're overthinking it. You're overthinking it. I overthink things all the time, all the time. It only fuels your, your fear, okay? It doesn't fuel the faith so much. Be like a little child, Go and tell people, right? Because Jesus, Jesus changed your life, and you want to tell them too, okay? Beyond that, understand you don't have to be any sort of qualified person to do this. I called Aaron last night and said, Aaron, what do you feel like those times when you've shared the gospel with your neighbors? One word I asked for, and he said, scared. It's the same, Right? Just because you're a little kid doesn't mean it's easy to the point of absolute fearlessness, right? Aaron's scared, just like I get the iggly wigglies when I'm on a walk and someone walks up to talk to the girls, and I'm like, dang it. 
now I've got I've to find the courage to walk through this door somehow, right? That's how it works. We need to be like children in our faith about what's going on and in our, in our willingness uh, to do it. And I thank the Leverance kids for setting an example. We kind of write off kids sometimes. It's not right. We, we look at what kids do and we think, oh, well, they're kids. That's why it's easy. We're adults. Life is complex now, which is not true. It's not true. Life is as simple as anything as an adult. It's just more difficult. You have more adult things going on. Complexity and difficulty are not the same thing. It's not more complex. You just got to share the gospel. It's easy for Eliza because she doesn't have any difficulty in doing that, no inhibitions whatsoever, which is terrifying for me. When she accepts Jesus, I am in trouble because she likes to talk, and every single person she sees, she's going to say, why don't you believe in Jesus or something like that, and I'm going to be like, oh, gosh. It's good. It's a good thing. You understand this is my, this is my flesh, uh, what my flesh tells me. Walk worthy of the gospel. Don't feel guilty enough that you're going to go door to door for one, maybe two weeks, and then never think of it again. Don't feel like if you add one strategy to your life, you, you're applying this evangelism series top to bottom and you're good to go. Instead, think of your life as one in which you need to walk worthy. It doesn't mean earn it. There's a, there's a message and there's a messenger. There's you are somebody who is called and you've been given a calling. And the way that normally works is the world tells you you need to do something with your life that's worthy of who you are. You're young and passionate and you're good and there's nothing you cannot do. You go use your life in a way that is worthy of you, right? In other words, find a message that's worthy of you, the messenger. Find a calling that's worthy of you, the called. It works the exact opposite in this way. You are the messenger. You are the called. You are unworthy. It's the message that's worthy and now you need to make yourself, we need to strive to make ourselves capable of carrying the worthy message. Don't waste your time trying to find a message worthy of your, of your wonderful identity, right? We've been given our calling. We're not trying to find it. We've been given it. Walk worthy. Try to make yourself worthy of the wonderful truth that you've been given, okay? In unity, in ministry, in daily life as a child, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you that you've given us your spirit and so many examples, biblical examples. Thank you that we get to do this in a body where KT and I both can mention a variety of people who we know who are trying to do this, all of us imperfectly, but many who are striving to live a life that's worthy of not only our Lord, but the calling that he's given us, calling to teach people the gospel to encourage one another in spiritual life as we have been doing so that we can, we can share our message uh, with the world and grow in who we are. So thank you for this opportunity, and I pray that we would, we would strive to walk worthy as individuals and as a group. In your son's name, amen. Amen. amen.